Have you had to deal with corruption in your industry, maybe even in your company? There are things you can do as a leader to prevent it, and today's episode will give you insight on how. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 277. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And as you know, if you've listened to the show for a bit, we have a global audience in the show. And one of the things that I'm always looking for is to bring in more voices that bring perspective from around the globe. And I'm really excited today to welcome our guest, who's going to provide us perspective on how to navigate and combat corruption in organizations. And this is going to be, I know, a really illuminating conversation for me. And even if you don't find that this is maybe an issue in your organization or even your industry or the uh, country that your organization is located in, I know that you will inevitably come across this in your dealings with international organizations across the world. And I'm really uh, glad to welcome someone who's an expert in combating corruption, and that is Mariano Mosquera. He is an Edmund J. Safra Network Fellow at Harvard University and a postdoctoral fellow of the National University of Cordoba. He is Professor of Ethics and Access to Public Information at the National University of Cordoba and Professor of Public Policy at the Catholic University of Cordoba. He's an expert consultant to the United Nations Development Program in Combating Corruption, and I'm really glad to have him here today. Mariano, I'm so uh, glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Hello, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, the pleasure is mine, and uh, this is, I saw an article recently where you were cited as one of the experts on navigating this issue. And um, I know that this is something that is very different in different parts of the world. Um, but I, before we get into some of the details, I'm wondering if you could just help us to define what corruption is. Well, it's not an easy, an easy question because what you say before, that we have many perspectives uh, around the world about uh, what is corruption. But I like to, and I prefer definitions of corruption that focus on a structural perspective, on institutional perspectives. So I think that a good definition of corruption is the consequence of a not legitimate influence that weakness the, uh, the efficacy of an institution. That is a good definition, I think, because uh, we have many assumptions that we can question and we can say that are not really true uh, with what that we with this kind of, of definition. So I think that we have focused on a definition of institutional corruption, not on personal corruption, and a definition that we we have to focus on a definition that talk about uh, legitimate and uh, and not legally in corruption. So maybe that's uh, an an interesting focus. But of course, we we have many different perspectives around the world. For example, in Latin American countries, we have a more perspective focus on public officials' corruption. In other parts of the world, for example, United States, you have a a, a more open definition about uh, corruption in private sector, for example. 
Indeed. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it from an, an organizational or even institutional framework, because that is really, uh, it's really powerful. And as the listeners of our show know, and we've talked about on the show many times, it, it is so, it is very difficult to change something that is institutionalized within an organization or even an industry. And it, just so we get a sense of, um, it, it, I know almost all of us have certainly heard the word corruption and we're, we're in some ways familiar with it, but um, I'm wondering if you could help us just by maybe sharing an example of something that you've seen recently that really shows that that institutional kind of corruption. Well, for example, in Latin America and in, in many countries on, in, in Latin America, I, I, I have working a lot on Chile, Peru, of course, Argentina. Uh, and we have many problems, for example, with public procurement process. In public procurement process between the state, between the government and uh, the supplier and between the company that, that has to provide some goods to, to the state. We have many rules that are bad rules, bad laws in, in the public procurement process. And we have some corruption that is legal, but you know that is corruption inside the rules. For example, collusion, uh, collusion examples that, for example, some providers, some suppliers of the state that has an agreement to do some fraud to uh, against the states that is very common in Latin American countries and for example we have so many cases uh, in the recent years uh, here in in Argentina or in Chile Peru uh, and this is a, per a new perspective here for us because we always talk about corruption in our agenda in our public agenda in in, in Latin American countries uh, focus on, on public officials but now we are understand that we have a lot of problems in our rules and our laws. Yeah, and I, I was interested in reviewing some of your writing that there's also very different methods of corruption. It's not just doesn't just show up one way. Uh, tell us about some of the different methods that you've uncovered in your research that would be helpful for us to, to understand and to appreciate the, the scope of corruption. Well, of course, yes. Uh, we have many, many methods uh, that that involves many actors in in in, in practice of corruption. For example, it's very common uh, the traffic of influence when two actors can can involve in in this practice. And for example, uh, some company make a lobby to do a corrupt practice uh, against the states, for example, against the against the government. Traffic of influence is, is, is a very big problem here in Latin American countries because uh, it's a, it, it may be in a lot of cases, it's a legal practice. We don't have laws against traffic of influence. So that is a very good example of, of, of a problem of, of institutional corruption. Then we have the association with suppliers, uh, like, like another problem that, that we have in, in, in a, like a corruption practice. Clientelism in Latin American countries, of course, is a, is a big problem. It's a big problem too. And then we have more political problems and corruption problems associated directly to the traditional conception of, of corruption focus on public official like uh, political hiring or the sales of office that involves monetary compensation for the appointment to a public office 
and it's a problem that connects many actors with with that problem. But I think that the, that the method, that the big issue about the method, that the different methods, is try to to make a difference between legal methods and illegal methods, and try to understand that maybe some legal methods uh, are institutional corruption too. That's I think is the is the is the big issue that we have to discuss in in, in Latin America. We have done some shows in the recent past on the importance and the perspective around power in organizations, and I, uh, I've certainly heard many times about the the critical nature that information plays as far as power and influence in an organization. And one of the things I noticed um, in your work is that uh, you talk about the importance that information plays in corruption. And I was wondering if you could help us to understand how individual parties having access to information plays a role in that. Yeah, yes, of course, it's so important issue. Of course, I think that transparency and access to information can be a good uh, a good key role to to play in in the fight against corruption. For many years we have some some rules here in, in Latin America about uh, laws of access to public information. But of course, the, the, the most important revolution uh, in, the, in the topic is about uh, open, data, open data perspectives. Now in our governments, we have uh, even more uh, governments that, that have open governments uh, platforms that have open data in, in the websites. And I think that this is the most important, the, the important role that are playing, for example, technologies to try, trying to find against corruption. But information, of course, is, is, is so important because it's so, di- so difficult in corruption practice to fight against corruption uh, after the practice, after the corrupt tra- practice. Controls and sanctions uh, are not doing a, a, a world job in 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 our countries. I think that prevention is is something essential to do. To do something good uh, with prevention in, in the fight against corruption, I think the information, open data, transparency of of the contracts, for example, transparency of of the of all the rules and incentives. Uh, that some institution has is something really important and is a, a key role in the fight against corruption. Dave, I, I resonate a lot with that because I, I just thinking in my own experience and experience with clients over the years is uh-huh. even when an organization is acting very ethically and responsibly, when they don't uh, allow access to information or it's not clear how something was determined or how a decision was made, there is often the assumption that people begin to make that the organization, even if doing the right thing, is perhaps acting in a way that is corrupt and uh, or, and if not corrupt, at least suspect in some way. And so it's, it's really, um, it, it's fascinating how much information and just awareness and access to that information can really make a difference. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, information is is a plays a key role, I, I think, and 
uh, we have many assumptions about corruption that maybe we have to fight with more information and with more education uh, in the in the issue of corruption. We have many assumptions that maybe that organizations or persons in organizations uh, believe believe and strongly believe, and maybe they are not correct for for for. The, the for the country for the sector or for their own institutions i think one of these is for example the personal corruption we have we, we talk a lot about personal corruption in latin american countries about the, that corruption is a personal problem and we never talk about the rules and the institutions that uh, have the incentives that promote corruption. That is a is a big problem because always we have to 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 sanction or to try to to catch and then go to jail some person, but never try to 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 do a reform in our institution. That is a big problem. And the other problem is the is that always we think about corruption in legal in le in a legal perspective. We we always try to think that it's a legal perspective, it's a legal problem. Maybe Maybe what is happening today in our organizations is that maybe they have a reputational risks and not just legal risk like they have in the past day. It, it, it's funny as you were saying that I was thinking back to maybe my first exposure to corruption <laughs> or the potential for mm -hmm. corruption in an organization. My dad for uh, many years still is a greeter usher in his uh, church and Mm -hmm. I remember I helped him as a kid, and I was part of the greeter team too. And whenever the collection was taken at mass, we would uh, there were the rule was it was always more than one person would go back into the back room and to sort the collection because you didn't want to give any one person by themselves the incentive to potentially take something from the collection basket, and. Uh, it was interesting to me. I remember that was kind of my first exposure of like, oh, you don't assume that people act <laughs> truthfully. And and yet the focus was always on the individual. Uh, and it was always interesting at the time, even thinking as a child, like, why do you have people go by themselves into a back room to do this? Like, it was it was the focus on the person versus the institution of like, how do we look at the a better process and procedure? And, and I know that's maybe maybe an oversimplification, but um, but it is interesting that we do tend to look at bad actors. I think in a lot of organizations, I know I have, versus yeah. looking at the organization as a whole. Yes, here, here in, for example, now in Argentina, that we have a, a change of, of a government, and of course, always we, we happens in 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 Argentina politics uh, cycle that when a new government uh, came to, to to power in Argentina uh, of course they have a lot of critics uh, 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 to the to the last government to the other government uh, and if, if you if you open a newspaper today in Argentina you you can find a lot of corruption cases a lot of always is centered in, in some person. The, the 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 public agenda don't try to to explain all the rules and all the incentives that maybe they we still have in our institutions and it's not changing if you change one just one person 
So we have a big problem with that because it's a powerful tool if you if you if you try to to focus the corruption on a person and you think that after that person is not anymore in the in the in the government for example the government don't have any more that problem of corruption it's very powerful to put the, that focus on the on the public agenda and of course it's so powerful then when we think about solutions but, but because we think that solutions are trying to catch that kind of persons inside organizations but we ne never try to understand how that organizations works Oh, yeah, indeed. And I, I don't know if this will, would translate into Spanish, but we have a term uh, scapegoat here in English. And, you know, it's it's putting, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, having one person to atone for all the ills of the organization. And like you said, it almost never works, um, you know, just because that person is removed from the system, it the system itself still has the challenge, the institution has itself. And I, I hear that message very strongly from you. And I, I, I like that a lot of really looking at where do you cha make changes in the system versus trying to, yes, people need to be accountable for their actions, but where do we look at the system as far as what did the system do in order to influence that behavior? Yes, we have uh, the expression, uh, I, I think that you have in in, in, in United States too, of the bad apple that yeah. always we, we try to, to, to catch the bad apple, but we never, we never, try to to focus the problem on, on the box of the of the apples just uh, to try to 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 catch the bad apple and if you catch that bad apple the box is is okay we have that that kind of expression and in corruption in corruption problems dave that is a is a big problem but because now in in our present time we focus on on, on person on personal on, on like a personal problem uh, every day in in our public agenda in latin america is that is the president is the, is a minister is a public official but we never try to discuss uh, the system of course yeah, I, I, sadly, I, I think we're actually really similar here in the States, and I think probably a lot of places in the world, and I see this in the news all the time, where uh, something there's a scandal in our government or something happens and, and someone resigns <laughs> as a result, and yet the organizational system hasn't really changed very much. And so I think that your your point is so well made here, and I think that that really transcends culture too. Um, and, and that actually leads me to my next question. I, I'm wondering... For someone who is a, a leader in an organization, and maybe they suspect, maybe, and then, then let's actually look at it through the lens of the institution. Um, they they see things that their institution is doing that that may be encouraging corruption or at least not preventing it, like you've spoken of. What is what are some of the first steps that a leader can do in, in order to begin some of the prevention? Well, it's an interesting question because, for example, uh, something that I say before that is very important in 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 the in the practice to to fight against corruption to prevent. That's that's very important because uh, if the if the corruption practice, uh, if you try to fight corruption after the corruption practice is did, it's very difficult to to try to change the perspective. And always we we focus on try to seek and try to detect the personal responsible, like we say before in the bad perspective but I think that uh, that uh, 
that prevention in, 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 in the fight against corruption is very possible. I, I work many in many cases in, in Latin American countries with many businessmen in Latin American countries. I have a, a, I am professor in many classes that I'm professor in business administrations, for example, plans or, or, or in master administrations as a business. And all my students are, are businessmen and they try to, to, to explain me about different corruption practice that that they live and i realized that that prevention is not so so difficult that we think i think that uh, a businessman knows when they are going to a meeting that they have a high probability that the meeting is going to to transform in a corrupt meeting uh, so i think that the first thing that that a businessman can do is then is try to understand what is the space that they are going to 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 go to a meeting for example and when they can anticipate the corruption the practice of corruption so if they can anticipate the practice of corruption they can do a lot of things because they can for example anticipate the corporate policy to another to another to the other party for example that they for example offer a bribe or trying to to have a corrupt agreement, they can anticipate the corporate policies. For example, they can use standard some methods, standardized that they can use to to discourage the corrupt offer. For example, for example, never going alone to a meeting. For example, that they know that high has a, a high probability to transform in a corrupt meeting. So I think that. If you can prevent, if you can prevent the corruption practice, always if you can anticipate. I think that this is very important, and I think that it's not so difficult that we can always think that that it is. Uh, I, I'm trying to to measure that with my students and all in all my experience, and I understand now that it's not so difficult to do that. Dave. I love that advice of uh, taking another party along with. And I, I'm just thinking back to a conversation I had a few months ago with uh, a, a friend of mine who is actually utilizing that tactic specifically in an organization here in the States uh, because of a some difficult relationships with an organization. And so I think it's really, really smart tactically to do that if, if you suspect it. And, and I'm wondering, are there other things that are common things that you find often help when someone, and like you said, a lot of times you have that that sixth sense <laughs> that maybe something is up or maybe some maybe this isn't a person, even if not corruption, maybe it's someone that I don't trust very well. In addition to taking someone else along to the meeting, are there other things you've found that are really helpful to people in prevention? Yeah, yeah, yes. Of course, for example, one of the big problems that we have is that for example, for businessmen that we we are in a corrupt situation, always they they think that if they say no to corruption, they are gonna we call lose the market. That's the expression that we use here that we use here in Latin America. Lose the market is that you are gonna out of the game of the of, of the game of the of the of the market. So that is the the the, the afraid that always has the businessmen. To resist to corruption, so always a lot of solutions to 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 prevent or a lot a, a lot of solutions to say no to corruption. Trying to 
don't use violent re responses to the other party and try to have, for example, a situation that we can have business in the future, but now, but now we try to discourage the corruption and try to uh, not be a violent, uh, not not generate a violent situation. So that is some some kind of the dilemma that all that always have the our businessman in in Latin American countries. In that kind of situation, of course, we have uh, some tactics that always uh, businessmen use. For example, explain the corporative process with more with more people involved. After a corrupt offer, for, for example, you can explain that it not depends on you because you have in your company many processes to comply that involve a lot of people. That is something that businessmen use a lot. Or, for example, delay the situation. Try to don't discuss the topic, trying to talk about other issues. Of course, if you can anticipate that corrupt practice is going to, to have a success in that kind of meeting. So I think they, that the most important thing is that you can have a lot of methods, but you have to anticipate that the, situ that the situation is going to, to happen. And the other thing that, that this is very important that is that you can explain, explain clearly about the corporative process. I think that there are two two main two main methods that you can use. Yeah, I, and I, I find that really a, a very mature way to look at it because I think that there are some people who would say, okay, if I got a corrupt offer, I'm just gonna stand firm and say no and you know, <laughs> maybe even report them in some way to some agency. And and that may be appropriate in some situations, uh, but it, like you said, it 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 cuts off the opportunity to influence in the future, and uh, and and ultimately, I think uh, my sense is for what you really want in your work is to to have organizations and entities engage in a dialogue where you know they still have the opportunity to do business down the road. It's just that we're not going to do it this way. Uh, we're not going to do it in this in this framework. Um, we're going to do it in a way that really honors the. The way we want to do business, and so I, I, I does that is is that an accurate assessment of what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Because what you what you say that is a a mature way to to see. Because I think that that the easy the easy answer the easy solution is try to say. Of course, I have to report that to authorities and try that never happen again. But this is not the real dilemma in our organization and in our institutions. The, the the real dilemma is that we have a lot of corruptions practice of corruption that are are very deep in, in our system in our in, in the way our system works and function and in in, in that kind of, of of dilemma it's not easy to 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 say no to a corruption practice for a businessman uh, the businessman think that they are gonna lose the market and they are going to be out of the game immediately. So uh, the, the dilemma is trying to change the game, but trying not trying to uh, do in some violent situation that uh, other other actors in the same game doesn't don't, doesn't understand uh, in the in the short in the short term. So I think that's the dilemma, Dave, and this is a real dilemma that institution and organizations has in, in Latin American countries. 
And this is an intelligent way to, to see the situation. Of course, the easy answer is to report or, or to go to authority. But this is not the real dilemma that, that we have. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate your the complexity that you hold with that because the, the mm-hmm. and this of course is something that varies by situation and around the world and uh, of course we're not we're not suggesting that no one should ever go to an authority organization to make a report but I think it captures the complexity especially in the part of the world that you work of. Of, of the complexity of this and how to navigate it well and to affect change and to have the opportunity to influence and affect change. And I also, uh, I really appreciate you mentioning this of just um, for our listeners who do, um, who are both are in other parts of the world, but also who work internationally, of really appreciating a lot of the challenges that businessmen and women around the world are navigating in different countries that they really do need to be very mindful of when doing business. And so um, I think it's, it's just a, a fabulous lesson for us as leaders. Um, speaking of lessons, Mariano, one of the one of the things I often ask our guests is and and make the point is that leaders are always learning and growing themselves. And I'm wondering what's something that you hold to be true today that you did not recognize or believe five years ago. Yes, I didn't. I didn't see five years ago that the technology is going to be uh, so important that is to date in the fight against corruption. I've seen technology is changing a lot of a lot of ways that we see the problem. Um, for example, uh, something that I said before: reputational risk. Reputational risk. Maybe for for small business or for small companies. Or, or, or for media businessmen, uh, it's really important today. It's really important, and and maybe it's more important than legal risk. And this is gonna going to change, uh, of course, our perspective of corruption. Because if reputational risk is more important than legal risk, it's not just illegal the corruption in our country. So I think technology is going to change uh, a lot of perspective. Reputational risks, for example, in social networks uh, is maybe more important now for a company than uh, legal risk or, or a specific legal risk in some process that they have inside their organization. So I think that the, the technology is going, we, we have a, 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 a great opportunity with technology in the fight against corruption. Mariano, I really appreciate your perspective. And uh, I know that there is definitely going to be a, a subset of our audience that uh, will want to learn more about this, uh, and particularly some of our Latin American listeners. For those who would like to reach out to you, uh, find your website, your writing, and some of your work, uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Well, with my website, uh, marianomosquera.com is a, is, a, is a good option. I can I can answer more questions. Of course, my Spanish is better than my than my English. So, for the Latino American audience uh, in Spanish, uh, I can I can I can answer questions about my work. Well, uh, your uh, your English is a lot better than my Spanish. So <laughs> I'm really uh, I'm really grateful for you uh, being on the show, and I'm grateful for you. Um, uh, speaking to us in your in English and and sharing your work, I, I just appreciate the perspective you bring uh, in the complexity of this, but also the perspective you bring in um, the those of us who do work internationally in um, with many different organizations around the world. Um, I think this is such an important um, 
is such an important perspective to be aware of. So I really appreciate uh, really appreciate your perspective, Mariano. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for inviting me. And it was a pleasure for me. Thank you. This is the very last show of 2016. Uh, next show is going to be in 2017, believe it or not. And I have a quick favor to ask of you, especially if you've been listening to the show for a bit of time or maybe even the entire year 2016. The one thing that I've learned, well, I've learned a lot of things, but one thing I have for sure learned about hosting a leadership podcast uh, over the last five to six years is that there is a massive amount of interest in leadership podcasts come the first week of January. Uh, it happens every year. We get a lot more downloads of the show. We get a lot more email. And it's always so exciting to see new people come into the Coaching for Leaders community, as many of you did uh, beginning of a year, looking for your own resources on how to develop yourself as a leader. And it makes a big difference this time of year. It, I'm always grateful for the kind notes and the emails that many of you have sent to me. Um, and also for the ratings and reviews that you have posted on iTunes and the other services. Uh, thank you so much if you have done that in the past. I'm very grateful for it. And if you have been listening to the show for a bit and you haven't done that in the past, not only am I as grateful as I normally am, but this week in particular, it makes a big difference in how many people locate this show come January and that we're able to serve and to get more recommendations for future guests. It really does help build our community in a substantial way. So if you have a brief moment sometime uh, this week during the holidays to leave a rating or a review for the show, iTunes is the best way to do it. iTunes is still the preeminent uh, place for podcasts and for people to discover podcasts. Uh, even if you don't use iTunes to listen to the show, if you have access to it, if you wouldn't mind taking just a brief moment, it takes about a minute or two to write a review. It takes about 10 seconds to leave a quick star rating on iTunes. It makes a huge difference, and I'd be very grateful if you take a moment to do that uh, sometime this week. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can just uh, use your free podcast app. And if you use iTunes on a computer or desktop, uh, you can just search for Coaching for Leaders on iTunes. Or uh, if you really want to make it easy on yourself, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes on any device that will take you right there to leave a rating or review. Thank you in advance if you decide to take a moment to do that. Now, a few more resources from today's show. Um, two more resources that are available to you, and especially if you have started listening to the show just recently. Thank you if you have uh, two resources that will help you out right away, even before the new year. Um, you may be aware already that you can activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. And if you haven't done that already, two reasons to do that immediately. First of all is you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It is a great course to start this time of the year because it will give you 10 immediate actions that you can take at the beginning of the year to become a more effective leader. And if you'll give me 10 minutes a day uh, for 10 days, it will help you to get the most immediate practical actions to lead better. It comes as a brief audio uh, to your inbox each day, and it will get you started in the new year to take action. So that'll be one thing you'll get immediately. The other thing I mentioned on last week's episode is I am now publishing a monthly member cast. I talked about the first episode with Mike Birch last week, and the second episode is now posted as well. The second episode is with one of our Academy members, Melanie Jackson. And Melanie 
is the president and founder of an organization called Virtual Partners Group. And we got together and had a conversation about how she restructured her organization this year uh, from a tr- more traditional management structure into holacracy. And those of you who've been listeners of the show for a bit will remember we had an episode on holacracy earlier this year with Brian Robertson, the founder of holacracy. And Melanie uh, has taken her organization, actually made that transition. Um, two reasons you'd want to listen to this member cast. Uh, number one, if you are thinking about making a major change in your organization or changing the structure, especially if you're thinking about changing how your organization is managed and the management structure you're using, even if it's not holacracy specifically, I think you'll really benefit from hearing some of the things that Melanie talks about as the president of an organization, how she navigated that, how she communicated it to her team, and also some of the obstacles she ran into. And the second reason I mention it is uh, I know we have a lot of financial services professionals who listen to the show. Uh, Melanie's organization, Virtual Partners Group, Virtual Partners Group, if I can say it correctly, does a great job of bringing order and chaos to the back office support for financial services firms and financial advisors specifically. So if you happen to be a financial advisor looking for that, I think you'd also benefit from hearing about Melanie and her organization and getting to know them a bit as well, too. So you can uh, get that access to that by going to coachingforleaders.com, setting up your free membership. And for those of you who already have your free membership set up, you can just go to your membership dashboard, click on MemberCast, and you will see that episode already posted. It's MemberCast number two. Thanks again, Melanie, for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. And a few related episodes that also will come back to today's conversation that'll be helpful to you. Episode number 144, I aired a while back with Kent Rhodes, a friend of Bonnie and mine, uh, who has done some wonderful work on organizational culture and research on organizational culture. We did an episode called How We Do Things Around Here to Get Results. Uh, It relates directly to our conversation today. Also, uh, more broadly, talks about how organizations uh, are really changed and interact with cultural dynamics. I think if uh, that's something that's top of mind for you, check out episode 144. Also, episode 154, Eight Ways to Use Power for Good. So we talked about corruption today, but uh, there's lots of ways power can be used for good. Episode 154 is uh, one just with me where I go through some of the classical types of power that are seen in the research. So that's a good listen if you've not heard it before. Also, episode 254, use power for good and not evil. I had uh, Dacker Keltner on the show. He is a professor at Berkeley, also the author of The Power Paradox, a great book uh, that I read earlier this year, and he was on the show earlier this year. And I got to see Dacker speak um, in person recently. He was fabulous, and I really recommend listening to that episode if you haven't already. So again, that's episode 254 coachingforleaders.com slash the episode numbers, the way to get to all of those. And Bonnie and I are back next week for the very first episode of 2017 with our monthly Q&A show. If you'd like your question to be considered for next week or maybe for a future Q&A show, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That is the best way to get that question to us for consideration. Have a wonderful holiday season, what's left of it. Happy New Year to you, and I look forward to seeing you in 2017. Take care.